You can be seated. He is Lord indeed. Amen. Good to see you here tonight. We're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to set, set ourselves under the authority of the Lord and set our hearts and minds to worship the Lord and fix our hearts and minds upon the Lord. We're not just here to daydream. We're not just here because it's what we're supposed to do on Wednesday nights. We've come here to meet with the living God. Amen. It's a privilege, it's an honor on our, our part that he would call us his friend, that he would call us his child, that he would call us his very own and, and be our friend. So I want to pray one more time just for this message. Father, we pray you give us ears to hear, give us understanding, God, and, and Lord, help us to take your word and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you, Lord God. And take heed to the word of God. Thank you for it, Lord. Bless your people tonight, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're doing a study. We started a few weeks ago in the book of Philippians. We're going to go through these four chapters and take our time. And, and just, uh, it's such a wonderful epistle, such a wonderful book. And I, I'm starting more and more as I'm studying it myself and to, to relate it to uh, just, just life in general as a Christian, but life in our day as a Christian. We're faced with so much opposition. We're faced with so much darkness. In one sense, you can say the world was no different in Paul's day in the Roman Empire. But I think that the darkness has increased overall. And, and we have to keep our hearts fixed upon the Lord. We need to keep our eyes of faith on Jesus and we are told to rejoice in the Lord, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that is a, a predominant theme in this book. It's not the only theme in this book, but it's a predominant theme in this book. And so let's just start. We're, we're, where we left off last week was verse 11. So I'm going to pick, pick up. We're going to read Philippians 1, 12 through 19, and then go back and talk about this passage tonight. So read with me if you would. Philippians 1, 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice. Yea, and I will and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful passage. Again, this, this epistle, Paul wrote it uh, from prison. It's one of the prison epistles that he wrote. It's the last of the prison epistles that he wrote. And this church, Philippi, was special. Every church is special, but this church is notably special in, in this epistle because uh, they stood so firmly by Paul. And in this letter, there's really no rebuke. There's one little thing where later in this uh, where he encourages some in the church to get along and, and be of the same mind, that kind of thing. But there's no real rebuke for doctrine or, or immorality or sin that's rampant in the church or anything like that. 
and so they have a special place. They stood with him. They actually sent money to Paul more than once. They ministered to his need. While he was ministering in another town or in prison or another country, another city, they would get wind of it, and, and they wanted to support him in that. They, they weren't ashamed that he was in prison. They, they weren't saying, oh, gosh, this, this is what Christianity is about. You know, forget Paul. I don't want to be associated with that kind of, of, of stuff. They really stood by him. And he lets it be known, his prayer for them, his thanksgiving for them. And there are things that we need to pick up on ourselves in that, in supporting the work of the Lord and praying for the work of the Lord and standing by those. Uh, we need to pray for the persecuted church. We do it. We probably need to do it more than we do uh, to lift up the persecuted believers and so forth. So here Paul says, I want you to understand in verse 12. So he's, he wants the church of Philippi to understand that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And I thought that what an amazing, when I was studying, what amazing and glorious godly attitude. He just right off the bat, he, he's in prison. He could be saying, oh, please pray for me. There's nothing wrong if he had, by the way. Please pray for me. It's cold here. Uh, I'm not getting enough food. It's filthy conditions. The, the people are immoral and they're cursing all the time. These, these chains are cutting into my wrist. There was none of that. I know that the, the, the saints of God did pray for him, but he just always is, he, in the lowest of lowest positions, is saying, look, I want to encourage y'all. <laughs> they weren't in prison. The Philippians weren't in prison uh, in, in that church, but he's wanting to encourage them. And he wants them to understand, and I think this is such a glorious view. It's a glorious view and outlook, and it's not, uh, it's not in denial, these little terms that people use. Oh, he's just in denial, or he was crazy and didn't realize what was happening. No, he understood fully what was happening. He knew where he was. He knew why he, why he was there, and he still knew by faith this is, this is God's plan. This is actually turning out to further the, the, the traveling of the gospel or the message of the gospel. And he'll explain it in this passage. But I thought, what a godly, mature outlook of faith. What a genuine desire for the Lord Jesus Christ to be glorified and magnified. That's something you're going to see in everything he says. It's all about not my current condition. It's all about how can God be glorified through my life? And that is a mature thing. And I want us to turn. We'll go right back there, but I'm going to read two scriptures. I want to start in, in 2 Corinthians 4. I actually preached on this passage a few Sundays ago, not too long ago. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 through 10. Paul knew what he was talking about. I mean, he, he actually lived this. We read about it. He lived it. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Even though we're persecuted, God hasn't forsaken us. This is part of his plan. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Amen. And so it was all about uh, the persecution f 
for the cause of Christ all turned back around to be this is God's will. It's for his glory. It is in our weakness and in these physical, weak, frail bodies that are hungry and cold and tired and shipwrecked and beat and stoned and, and beat with stripes that the, the glory and the power and the love of the Lord Jesus can come back in return out of us. It is for his glory. And Paul understood it. And because he understood it by faith, he could rejoice in it. If we don't understand it, we don't get it, we're not going to rejoice in it. It sounds like a, almost like a person from another planet. This is just too, too weird. It's too bizarre. It's not possible to really live that way. But he did live that way. He was just a human being like you and I are, saved by the grace of God. And he lived that way. And look at one more passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. Romans 8, 36 and 7. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. It doesn't sound like uh, we're loved. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. For thy sake, we are killed all the day long. And then it turns right around and Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You see this as a pattern. It doesn't just pop up in the letter to the Philippians. We see it in his life. We see it in his testimony. We see it in the lives of others uh, through the years, even since the Bible days. If you, if you have ever read about the martyrs, like in Fox's book of martyrs, you'll see things and you just, it'll, it'll blow your mind. It'll bring tears to your eyes. And you'll say, when I read it, and I just told myself, I'm going to pull out that book and read it again because it's been a long time. And maybe I need a good cry to look over and see my brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're in heaven. I'm going to see them one day. And I don't feel like I nearly measure up to their, their faith and their genuine desire for the Lord to be glorified. And what they went through, it wasn't poor pitiful me. I forgot which one. It was Latimer, or I don't remember his name, that was uh, you know, burned at the stake, as many the believers were during that day, for strictly not for crime, but for their faith in Jesus Christ and refusing to denounce him or renounce him burned at the stake and he was singing praises and he was he actually was singing in the fire with the flames on him till like an arm fell off in the fire from from the flame and he kept lifting the other hand till it was burned and fell off in the fire i mean i'm just thinking this is this this is otherworldly it, but it is otherworldly you understand it is otherworldly it's the life of Christ manifest in these mortal bodies. That's what it is. That's what's happening with Paul. That's what was happening with Stephen when he was being stoned. That's otherworldly. That's what happened with our Lord on the cross when they're mocking and ridiculing him and giving him vinegar to drink. And, oh, he saved others. He can't save himself. And those very people mocking him are the ones he's dying for. And they don't even know it. And he says, Father, forgive them. Uh, it's otherworldly, but that is the life of Christ in us. Amen. So back in Philippians chapter 1, um, there's a couple of things here that made this possible. There's a couple of things that make that possible in, in anyone's life to live that way, to, to count it as joy. Uh, number one, plain and simply, Paul knew the Lord. He knew the Lord. He wasn't religious. He didn't know about the Lord. 
It wasn't like he was when he was a Pharisee and thought he knew God and didn't know God. He was really knew the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew him. Okay? And it makes a difference. And he says in chapter 3, and we'll get there in a few weeks, but yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. You can't do that as a pretense. You can't do that as a hypocrite. You understand what I'm saying? You, you can only do that when it's real. And people that don't know the Lord, it's not real to them. It's, it's foreign. They think you're, they just don't, they can't possibly comprehend what it's like to know Christ. But once we know Christ, like Paul did, then it's real. He's real. Paul had no greater love, no greater purpose, no greater motive, no greater agenda than serving the Lord, than doing his will, than fulfilling the call of his Savior upon his life all for his glory. Amen. So this was, there's no, it wasn't Jesus and something else. It was Jesus, period. So if everything was stripped from him and he's in prison or he's real um, being warmly received in some town and just seeing the miracles of God and people getting saved in a church growing up and, and things, either, either way, either position, it was all, he had no greater agenda than, than to do the will of the Lord. And again, that, that comes through truly knowing the Lord. And so Paul wanted to communicate this to the church at Philippi, that all these things, what are, what are some of these things? We don't have time to read them all. Shipwrecked and, and rejected and ridiculed and persecuted and imprisoned and the beatings and the threats and cast out of towns and, you know, cast out of cities and so forth, stoned and left for dead, all these things and more. He said they've actually fallen out to the furtherance of the gospel. So guess what? They weren't a hindrance. The devil meant them for a hindrance. Don't forget the devil's behind all that. This isn't just mean people. There are mean people. There are blinded people. They're blinded in their sin. They lost. They don't understand. They're ignorant. There are people that think they're serving God by persecuting Christians. They're wrong, but they think that. Behind it all is the devil, our adversary, and it, it turned out not to be a hindrance. It turned out to be to the furtherance of the gospel. Victory out of defeat. The gospel was being preached regardless. Jesus Christ was being glorified. Paul was able to, and we'll look down a few more verses in a moment, he was able to reach, and the gospel was able to reach into areas that otherwise it would never have been able to reach through Paul's imprisonment. That's what he talks about later in this passage. Jesus Christ was being glorified. Souls were being saved. He's saying, through my trials. As one pastor put it, for the fortune of misfortune. When you're in God's will, the fortune of misfortune. And so in verse 13, so that by my bonds in Christ, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And so he's saying... The testimony of Christ, Paul's personal testimony for Christ, where did it land him? It landed him in prison. It wasn't a chance. It wasn't just, oh, God says it's out of control now. and They're going to throw him in prison. I don't know what I'll do. It was part of, you just keep serving God. One may end up on a throne and one may end up in prison. Just keep serving God. You'll end up where he wants you to be. You understand what I'm saying? He ended up in literally in Rome, moved from place to place, and he ends up in 
Caesar's palace. Nero was the Caesar at this time. And he said that my, my testimony of Christ is manifest, he says, in all the palace and in all other places. And so uh, this was literally the praetorium is what it was. So here's Caesar. Nero was a Caesar at the time. And he's got his palace. And connected to the palace, it was like a, more like a big complex. It wasn't just his house. It was a palace, and then there was the, the palace guard, which was the cream of the crops that were chosen to defend the, the palace and, ne- and the Caesar. And so all these guards, they have their barracks and their living quarters where the, the guard lived. They have the prison that's attached to it. And then all the attendants, all the little people running around serving Nero and reporting to him and, and doing their little jobs. And he's saying that the gospel has reached by my testimony of being in prison for Christ, he says it's reached into the palace. It's reached into all these other areas as well. And remember this, it's very important that Paul's chains, his imprisonment, were directly in connection with his, his Savior, with Christ. His chains were not for uh, some crime that he had committed. And people can, can sometimes get really skewed with that and they get thrown in prison for breaking, you know, some law or some immoral thing that's, that's a sin, that the Bible calls sin. And they say, I'm just bearing my cross. I'm suffering for the Lord. No, you're not. You're, you're suffering for your wrongdoing. There's a difference. God can forgive you. God can save you. But don't pretend like that is your cross you're bearing for serving Christ. Paul was thrown in prison. Peter, Barnabas, Silas, the, these people, uh, Silas, they were thrown in prison for serving Christ. Jeremiah was thrown in prison for serving the Lord, specifically. They were probably model citizens in every other aspect. I I can relate that to our day. Christians, true Christians, are going to be the best citizens of a country. They're not going to be the ones breaking into people's houses and stealing because God calls it sin. Our hearts change. We're going to be model citizens, yet we're going to be the most persecuted. It's directly in relationship to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Calling sin, sin. Calling Christ the only way to heaven and the only way to the Father. I want to read this. You can turn if you want to. And I'm turning to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. 1 Peter 4, 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, Peter says, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's, men's matters. Don't suffer for those things. Those are sins. We already know we're, we're called to be holy and not sin. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian... Let him, not, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Again, it's important to understand, uh, are we suffering for the Lord? Or are we just suffering because we're uh, unkind or we're immoral or we got caught doing something wrong at work or, or wherever it may be? We need to, to make sure that if we're suffering, let it be for the Lord. And if, I'm suffer, if, I, if I suffer for some wrongdoing, certainly God will give me grace. I'll call upon the Lord and say, please forgive me. And I may have to walk it out a little bit. I may have to suffer for something I did wrong. But to suffer as a Christian, we're actually to rejoice. Isn't that what Peter just said? Count it, glorify God. And so um, 
I, I was reading some commentaries on this about in the palace and how the gospel traveled. And they were saying that a lot of these people, you know, Paul's chained to some guard, for example. And there's a rotation probably of men that wait on him, that guard him, that watch him. And Paul, knowing his manner, he was sharing the gospel with people. I'm in prison for this. They probably said, what did you do? What did, you know, how many people did you kill? Whatever. No, I'm here for preaching the gospel. And he would testify and glorify God. And a lot of these people were probably coming to know the Lord and getting saved. And the next five minutes, that same person or somebody passing by hearing, somebody delivering water might have pulled up a chair and wanted to hear. They could be in the presence of Nero literally in five minutes. You heard about this guy, Paul, from Tarsus? You know, understand what I'm saying? It, it, this is how the Lord works. And so it's really um, the gospel was being spread, and this is what he rejoiced in. Verse 14, back in Philippians 1. So, and many of the brethren in the Lord, this is where it, it transfers to, to us, I guess you would say. Many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We don't think about things a lot like that. We just think about my own little world. I'm cold. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm separated from my family in prison. It's all about me. God, get me out. God, get me out. God, get me out. You understand what I'm saying? And, and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying things like that. But if you know there, that you're there in the will of the Lord, then he can give us a real joy and peace, and we can rest in that. But it turned out to not only be a further spreading of the gospel to places that Paul would have never had access. He would have never had access to Caesar's palace, okay, and to the people there. But he says, all other Christians have heard about me being here, persecuted for Christ, imprisoned because of my testimony for the Lord, and it has given them great boldness to preach the word without fear. And I began to think, you know, what, what, what we do affects other people. How we handle our circumstances and situations affects other people. A lot of people in Paul's situation could have been, I, I might say that I've been guilty of this, uh, not that I was in prison, but when we're, when we're rebuffed or persecuted or mocked or ridiculed for our faith in Christ, a lot of people can do just the opposite. They can become discouraged. They bec become fearful. They say, well, I'm just not going to open my mouth anymore about the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah said that when he was young. And he says, but I couldn't keep quiet. Your word was like fire shut up in my bones. And I could not forbear to speak. Um, but people can become bitter. Well, if this is what it means to serve God, this is, the, this is the reward I get for serving. No, that's not the reward you get for serving the Lord. Your reward's coming in heaven. You know, your reward's coming from Christ being with you in that prison cell and helping you and, and strengthening you and turning that prison cell into a, 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 a meeting room with the Lord. You know, that's it. But a lot of people can become bitter. They want to quit. Some people can and do. I got this quote from one of the commentaries. It says, our circumstances are not as important as what we do with them. I thought that was very good. Our circumstances are not as important 
as what we do with them. Everybody's got troubles. Tell me somebody that doesn't have a trouble. Everybody's got trials. Unbelievers have trials. Unbelievers get cancer. Unbeliever, unbelievers have all kinds of difficulties and so forth. And save people. What person doesn't have some lousy circumstance just on the face, the circumstance? Everybody does. This world's filled with trouble, the Bible says. And yet, it, it's not the circumstances, it's what we do with those circumstances. Do we turn to the Lord? Do we acknowledge God? Do we seek for God to be glorified in the situation? Do we trust Him? Do we abandon Him? Uh, do we forsake Him? Because He's not going to forsake us, amen? But the, these other believers that heard about this, because of Paul, it caused them to be more bold. He says, waxing confident in my bonds, amen? And that gives joy, that gives strength. And so we're reading it here 2,000 years later. I'm encouraged by it. I, I pray that that would be something that would carry on to actually uh, be a change in our lives. But our boldness, your boldness for the Lord. I can tell you right now, as a student in school, um, wherever you may be, you take a stand for Christ and other people see that. They've never taken a public stand for Christ, but it might cause them to wax bold Maybe they're real Christians and you never knew it. You know, they never took a stand. And we're waiting for somebody else to. And God says, I'm waiting for you to, to take a stand. I'm waiting for you to stand up. Count the cost. Maybe you'll go to prison. You know what I mean? But uh, it's going to embolden others. It's very important. They're able to, they were emboldened to speak the word without fear. And I thought, that's great liberty. One man said, courage is contagious. And I thought fear is contagious also. You know, if we're always just going to be hunkering down and scared of our own shadow, uh, that can spread and affect other people. Courage is contagious as well. So I want to keep reading verses 15 and 16. Some indeed, so he's saying more people are preaching the gospel because they're waxing confident in my bonds. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. Now this is a strange little passage here. I really had to study it to find out what was going on here there's people that preach the true gospel of christ but their motive was wrong they preached even of envy and strife those are horrible motives and low motives to preach the gospel of jesus christ but this is what was taking place and some also of goodwill they had a good heart right intentions the one preached christ of contention not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. Paul literally was going to be like the poster child, you know, like a Supreme Court case. It's a lot of stuff going on, but they'll pick one case that rises up, and it's going to kind of represent all those other little similar situations that are going on. And here Paul was going to, at this time, in the Roman Empire, which was the biggest empire in the whole world at the time, he was literally going to have a day, a trial. He was going to have a trial. He was going to have a defense. His de he was going to be a defense of the gospel. Not Paul, not let me out. I didn't do anything wrong. It was going to be a defense of the gospel. He's set for that. So that's what he's talking about there. But let's talk about these ministers. The first, he says in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ of envy and strife. And the, the, the thought here as I studied it, because I've read that before and I've thought, you know, 
that, that's a weird thing. It is a horrible motive for preaching Christ. Envy and strife, those are sins, those not to be in the church and so forth. They had a right message but a wrong motive. And, and really what it came down to when I've studied what, what everybody said, there was a jealousy. There were other Christians, and they wanted to build their own ministries, and they actually saw Paul as a rival. I don't think Paul saw other believers as a rival. I know he didn't. And so uh, it's almost like John the Baptist. He's like, I must decrease, he must increase. Christ was not a rival to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had followers. He had disciples before Jesus had disciples. And there came a point where John the Baptist's disciples left and followed Jesus, and they became Jesus' disciples. John was not jealous of that. He was not jealous of that. He said he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had his moment of doubt or weakness in prison when, when he was arrested and before he was beheaded. But uh, he, he was not, it was not a rival. That is not a Christian motive. But they really wanted to say, we want to beat Paul. That's what they thought. These other Christians, they were preaching the gospel. They preached Christ. And it doesn't say they preached him wrong or false doctrine. They preach Christ, but their motive was, I want to beat Paul. I want to get his followers to be mine, or I want to get more followers after me than him, or I want to build my reputation higher than his. Obviously, they didn't. We don't know their names. <laughs> we don't even know who they were, um, but we're still talking about Paul. But so they had a right message and a wrong motive. It was jealousy and rivalry. Others preached for goodwill. That's simply what it sounds like. A genuine heart, no competition with Paul. Right message and a right motive. And it goes on to say that some preach, uh, one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely. Contention means self-seeking. They wanted to actually vex Paul. They wanted to add affliction to his bonds. Can you imagine that? You know, uh, one of y'all is in here, or a Christian brother of ours like Keith Malcolmson is, is arrested and thrown in prison, and we would actually want to vex him and make things more grievous for him in prison somehow by talking about him. Or You understand what I'm saying? Or uh, he's, that's what he's saying here. They, they, they actually wanted, supposing, to add affliction to my bonds. They were uh, preaching out of contention. And uh, they wanted to build their own following. Again, I say they did not succeed in what they were doing. I want to read a little bit uh, from a commentary that I read on this. He said, when he says, I'm set for the defense of the gospel... He, he, in verse 17, he literally means he's, there's, there's an appointment. I'm set. There's an appointment. I'm destined is what it means for a defense of the gospel. And so in these verses, we see two types of preachers, the two that we just des described. They differ in their hearts. And one, and one is the heart of con contention rules, and the other love reigns. They differ in spirit. In one, there's envy and strife. In the other, goodwill. They differ in their source of their strength. In one, there's merely the love of their partisan, you know, party, what they want, okay? In the other, there's confidence in the Lord. They differ in their aim. In one, the aim is to advance a branch of the church, their little branch of the church. You know, this is all 
that matters is how our little church does here, how I do. And the other, the aim is to advance the cause of Christ. There's a big difference in the two. There's a big difference, and we see both, even in our day. They differ in conviction. One aims to add affliction to Paul. The other knows that Paul is set for the defense of the gospel. So he goes on to say in verse 18, What then, notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So what is pretense? Whether they, they preach in pretense, that means uh, it's a pretext, an ex, it's an excuse. They preach Christ, and it says there's an ulterior motive. They're preaching Christ, but they have an ulterior motive. Okay, and so there's something, it says they, they put something forward, but it hides the true state of things. That's what pretense is. They put a, a display out there, but there's a real different story inwardly behind the scenes. And he says the idea is that they have an ulterior motive. Or he says, Paul says, whether they preach in pretense or in truth. That's simply sincerity. Um, and he goes on to say, Paul could not and would not condone false teaching. So they weren't teaching a false teaching. He wouldn't condone that. But he graciously could and would tolerate wrong motives in this case because the gospel was still being preached. So think about it. The, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And somebody has a wrong motive, but they preach it rightly, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus by the grace of God, there are people that he wants to save, the Lord wants to save. They still can be saved. Maybe they'll wise up and find out this evangelist wasn't all he was cracked up to be. They'll know Christ was all he was cracked up to be. You understand what I'm saying? And so Paul rejoiced in that. Uh, we find no resentment in Paul's, on Paul's part and no rebuke of them and his actions. It's evident that we shouldn't have contention and strife, okay? But he's not really... Uh, there's no resentment on his part. There's no bitterness on his part. Paul rose above petty jealousy and animosity. And that's really what it is, y'all. It's rising above it. It's rising above it. It goes on. It goes on all the time. It goes on in churches. It goes on in churches all over the place. And we in Christ, if he's real to us, we don't have to defend ourselves every other second. We can, by the grace of God, rise above it. You're going to find great liberty in that and great freedom in that because I don't have to do damage control. I'll let the Lord guard me and watch over me, and I'm going to keep living for Jesus. Amen. And he's going to bless that. He goes on to say, Paul rose above petty jealousy and animosity. Christ was in control, and Paul was out of sight. And I put a big check by that. Christ is in control, and Paul's out of sight. In other words, it's not about Paul. He's not on the forefront right now. He's in a prison cell. He's not out there uh, with hundreds of people listening to him preach on Mars Hill or something like that or, or raising up pastors in, in Ephesus at the church there. He's, he's in a prison cell, chained to a Roman guard. And yet he's okay with that because he knows that God is being glorified, his gospel. Christ is still being preached. Christ was in control. And Paul was out of sight. Paul was bound, but the word was, of God was not bound. And he goes, and therein, verse 9, uh, 
in verse end of verse 18, and therein do I I do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Amen. And I thought rejoicing is a choice. It's a choice to rejoice, okay? A choice to rejoice. You could have another Christian right by him who's bitter and mad and downtrodden and misses their family and everything else. Well, who, who wouldn't miss their family? But it's a choice to rejoice. And I pray that I would be that way. I'm going to close with this last, this last verse here, 19. For I know that this, everything that was taking place, the whole situation, see how he says, I know it. He says, like, in, in, I, I know whom I believe, and, I, and I'm confident, you know, that I, all I've entrusted him into, he's going to bring back in that, in that day. I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It wasn't salvation in the sense where he says, I know this shall turn to my salvation of, of eternal salvation of his soul. He was already saved. I believe in, in what the, the commentaries I was reading, it means deliverance. This is going to turn to my deliverance. This is going to turn to my salvation from what? From discouragement, from fear, you know, from, from turning from the Lord. It's going to turn to my salvation from men and wicked men and their schemes. Even even if he died there, and he would end up dying in Rome, men didn't get the best of him. The devil didn't get the best of him. We always have to remind ourselves. Discouragement didn't get the best of him. Sin didn't get the best of him. You understand what I mean? Fear didn't get the best of him. He was saved from that. And he was saved from that. Two things that were mentioned. Your prayers, the church at Philippi, your prayers, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And... The last thing I'll just mention is that there was a cooperation, so to speak, between the human and the divine. The prayer of the saints, okay, and the petition and the intercession on, by the saints on Paul's behalf. And then the Spirit of Christ, which was supplied to him, probably in response to their prayers and his own prayers. And the Holy Ghost is both the gift and the giver. Amen? The gift and the giver. I'm closing with this quote from F.B. Meyer. Abounding in love, I'm sorry, it was a matter of comparative indifference to Paul what happened to himself so long as the gospel progressed. Because the, because the extension of the gospel meant the growing glory of Jesus. He was quite content to be in bonds if only by his chains he might gain access to new realms otherwise untrodden if jesus might be named to those who had never heard of him he was prepared to live or die that jesus might be magnified well again this is almost how we started this message tonight that is otherworldly but it's it's christ in us it was christ in the apostle paul this is what we're desiring he's in us but we're desiring him to abound more and more to cause us to be dead to ourselves, like that whole series on the cross, and alive to Christ. That's the only wanting to add that you can rejoice in your bonds. Even in prison, having people wanting to add affliction to his bonds. Can you imagine? We want to make it worse for Paul in prison. We want to grieve him and vex him in prison. And yet he's rejoicing, he's rejoicing, he's rejoicing. That's the Lord, amen? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Y'all stand tonight. We'll take just a few moments. We got some birthdays. We want to 
uh, acknowledge here in a minute, but right now, before we do, I just want us to take a moment. You come to these altars and begin to call upon the Lord and, and ask God. Just ask and say, Lord, I don't, I don't rejoice like that. Every time I'm frowned upon or persecuted for Christ or go through something because I'm a Christian, I'm just feeling sorry for myself, and I just want out of the situation. And yet, here's Paul rejoicing. Lord, I want to be like that. I want to be like Jesus. Father, we come before you. And God, it's obvious to me what we've studied tonight uh, is, is not complicated. It's amazing. It's marvelous. But it's not complicated to rejoice in trials, to rejoice in prison. As long as Christ is being magnified, as long as the gospel is going forth, as long as God is being glorified, we are taught that in the Bible. Jesus, you taught it in the Sermon on the Mount. Peter taught it uh, in, in First and Second Peter, Lord, that we're to rejoice when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Lord, I pray that you would help us to. We know that we can't do that apart from your grace, apart from the supply of the Spirit. Lord, supply your spirit. Fill us. Fill your people with the Holy Ghost, Lord. All-consuming fire, God, I pray you would consume us and burn off the things in our life that are not of Christ to where what remains is pure and gold and it's tried and true. And Lord, it's the Lord in us, God. Thank you that we have the Word of God. Thank you that we, you raised up men like this that we can study their lives and countless others that we don't know their names. I thank you for them. I thank you for our heritage in the Lord. I pray we would leave a heritage to those that follow us in the Lord and how we live for you with joy and boldness, God. In Jesus' name.